Well, good morning. Let me welcome you to Crossroads. We are excited that you're here. This is what we call hit a home run into summer Sunday. So again, if you're visiting with us or you're watching us online on Facebook Live, uh, this is one of those Sundays where we kind of thematically did something a little different. We asked people to wear something that kind of leaned toward baseball, whether that's a jersey or a hat or whatever. So don't think we're some kind of heathens. Uh, we actually did this intentionally because we're just trying to create a little momentum during the summer because, again, lots of people gone, lots of things happening. Again, we know today is tax-free weekend, tax-free Sunday, the last weekend before school starts this week. So we know lots of people are doing lots of things. And we just wanted to create a little excitement and some of you guys did really well some of the ones in the 8:30 service did really well we're always encouraging you to do something and to participate at a level maybe that's out of your comfort zone but again something that makes it a little fun let me just go ahead and say this two weeks from today is hawaiian tropic sunday so you can get your hula skirts uh your hawaiian shirts your don hole paraphernalia get all that ready and you can wear that on the 16th so again that's august the 16th it's called hawaiian tropic sunday and we also have something else really cool planned for that day so you'll want to make sure that you're here those joining us online we welcome you whether you're listening or you're watching or both uh, we encourage you if you're watching on facebook live don't just watch us share this from our Facebook page to yours so that somebody will see this today. Or maybe they'll look at your Facebook page and they'll see it later this week. A couple other announcements I want to highlight. Again, today is also Pop-Up Sunday in Wombaland and Upstreet. Wombaland and Upstreet are our children's environments. Uh, you see those around us uh, on the back side of the auditorium, on the side of the auditorium. Uh, they're moving up today. Today's their move-up day where they go to the next grade appropriate class. Kind of goes with the school year. So again, if you have a child there, they're popping up or moving up to the next grade today. Uh, lots of uh, popsicles and popcorn and all kinds of things that insinuate pop up. So again, we're going to feed them and we're going to get them hyped up and we're going to send them home with you. So there you go. You're going to have a great day with them as they're on that sugar high. Let me also remind you of this. Uh, on Wednesday of this week, we have our call to prayer, which happens here in the auditorium, 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. It is a come and go time for you to come into the auditorium. The auditorium is dimly lit. The stage lights are dimly lit. There's nobody here to lead you. It's just a time for you to come and to center yourself and to pray for our country, our community, uh, our church, our leaders, uh, our families, and again, uh, the things that are important to us. It's a come and go time, 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. here on Wednesday, every Wednesday. Again, we encourage you, you can stay as little as you want or you can stay as long as you want. We just ask you when you come in, there's a table there that will have some instructions. Uh, it just be a time of reverence, a time of quietness uh, where people are praying all throughout the room. Some people are on their face. Some people are standing up. Some people are at the stage. Some people are in the back of the auditorium. But just come and make a time for yourself to pray and center and do your business with God. Again, that happens every Wednesday from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. We also know that today is designated as kind of a school prayer day. Uh, I know the, I think it's the Kiwanis Club that really encourages us uh, around here to really center and to really pray uh, for our schools and our teachers and our administrations and our students as we start a new school year. So I'm going to ask you, if you will, right in this moment, I know we've already prayed a couple of times, we can't pray enough, but if you will, just bow your heads and let's pray this morning and kind of 
focus on this prayer on our schools in the new school year. God, we just take this time to come before you uh, as we stand in awe of your goodness and your grace and your mercy and your love towards us. And we're so undeserving. But God, this morning, we kind of assemble ourselves in this moment to pray specifically for our schools, for our students as they'll be going back to school this week, whether that's in a public school, a private school, whether that's being homeschooled. We pray for our teachers. We pray for the administrators. God, we just pray a hedge of protection that you would camp the very angels of heaven around the schools uh, and that you would protect them, that you would protect the minds and the hearts of, of our students as they go back because we have this world that is pulling them in so many different directions. But God, in only the way that you can, would you let their attention and their focus be drawn towards you. Fill every teacher, every administrator, everybody who deals with students, uh, even the people who stand out and direct the traffic. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Protect them uh, as they do the job that they have taken on or the job that you have called them to. Uh, God, protect them and their health. Give them the wisdom that they need to speak into the lives of students as we ask this prayer this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is week three of our series, Five Lies, and I know we've got some people visiting here, and I have to admit uh, that over the last couple of weeks, let me tell you for, if you're visiting with us what we, what we had people do. We had people several, maybe a month ago, we asked people, what is a lie that somebody told you that you believed or that you bought into, and somehow that lie has impacted your life? And it's really been amazing when you, when you sit down and you listen to the lies or read the lies that you guys sent in. I mean, I, again, I, how many other churches in town will the pastor, pastor ask you to lie to him so he can preach about it? This, this is the place that we are. This is Crossroads. That's what we did. And you guys sent some lies in that were absolutely unbelievable. And, and again... This is part of what we're calling summer, and the series is called Five Lies. And, and, and as I asked people to send things in, to send lies in, uh, I, I knew it was going to be easy. I knew it was going to be easy because I don't know anybody in their life that can say, that's never happened to me. We've all, we've all been told a lie, we believed a lie, or somehow we practiced something that somebody told us believing it to be true, and we dove into it head first, only to find out that what we were told was not true. And at the very same time, even though we believed it and practiced it, it has impacted our life in a big way. So I've had the opportunity to look and to talk to many people about these lies that we're looking at. And when you think about the lies that you sent in, and not, 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 some of these weren't sent in. Some of you told me these personally. Probably one of the areas where most of you had a lie that has impacted your life, that lie kind of revolved around the subject of prayer. And again, if you remember, I told you that even though this series was titled Five Lies, I told you there was a strong possibility that there was going to be more than five lies that we're going to look at. And today, that actually comes true. Today is where that truth becomes reality because actually, in, in some of what you have mentioned, and that subject being prayer, 
which we've talked a lot about lately, it wasn't possible for me to cover all the things that you sent in by just looking at one lie. So instead today, I'm going to tell you there are three lies that we're going to look at this morning, and all three of these lies center around the subject of prayer, lies that you sent in. But let me just say this, I changed your wording some so that people would understand what you meant or what you were saying, but the basic idea is still the same. We're looking at a lie that you bought into as it relates to the subject of prayer. So let's get started this morning and look at the first lie this morning because this one allows us kind of to take the step and look at the other two. Here's lie number one. Lie number one is this. My prayers can't be honest. Now let, me, let, me, let me put this another way. You could say that in a number of ways, but you could say something like this. I feel like when I pray that I can't really pray what I'm feeling. So let's dive into this. And one of the best ways to start to dismantle that lie that you see on the screen behind me is to look at a guy that we find in the Old Testament. And when you look at the Old Testament, this is probably a name that you've heard here at Crossroads. And even if you attend another church or even if you don't ever come back here and go to another church, this is a name that you're going to hear a lot. It's a guy by the name of Jeremiah. And the thing that's really interesting about Jeremiah is that we understand by looking at Scripture that Jeremiah lived in what we would call a very immoral time. I mean, it kind of feels like it's where we are in our country right now. And what we need to see in this story is that God had a desire to use Jeremiah to actually turn the country around. In other words, if, if, if these people don't change, then they're going to experience, listen to what I'm saying, they're going to experience the horrible consequences of the choices that they're making. I mean, it sounds so familiar to the world that we're living in right now. So Jeremiah has this assignment from God, and, and, and God goes to Jeremiah, and Jeremiah accepts the assignment from God. But when he starts to take the assignment to heart, and when he starts to execute the assignment that God had given him, nobody paid the attention to Jeremiah. Nobody would listen to Jeremiah. And Jeremiah tells people, anybody remember the Blues Brothers movie? That, I, I know that's a long time ago, but it's classic. And the Blues Brothers, what they say, they're on a mission from God. That's the very same thing Jeremiah tells the people, that he's on a mission from God. But they really don't care. The people really don't care. He tells the people that God has given him a mission, but the people don't care that God has given him a mission. And they laugh at Jeremiah. They laugh at him every time that he speaks. They get so frustrated with Jeremiah that they tell him to get lost. And Jeremiah goes back to God and says, God, what, what is it? What, what am I supposed to do? What do you want me to do? And that's when God gives Jeremiah several different assignments. And one of the assignments that God gave to Jeremiah was to go and get a large vase and take that vase and go where people are, and hold that vase over your head. 
and tell the people, if you don't change your ways and humble yourself before God, you are going to be like this vase. And then God told Jeremiah, take the vase and smash it on the ground. And so that's exactly what Jeremiah does. He gets the base, he holds it over his head, and he tells the people, if you don't change and humble yourself before God, you're going to be like this vase. And he throws the vase on the ground and smashes the vase. And that's received about as well. Well, you, 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 you get the picture. If Jeremiah had had a podcast, nobody would have listened. If Jeremiah had had an Instagram account, nobody would have liked that message. As a matter of fact, they disliked that message so much that they beat Jeremiah and they humiliated him and they put him in chains outside of the city gate. So this is starting to develop a problem between Jeremiah and God. And Jeremiah says to God, God, I'm, I'm doing my part. I'm doing exactly what you said. I'm doing my part of the deal. But nothing's happening. And Jeremiah is getting angry. So think about that. What would, you, what would you recommend that Jeremiah would do? What do you think Jeremiah should do? I mean, th think about your life. What do you do when the roof falls in? What do you do in your life when everything caves in? I mean, think about it. What do you do when your marriage goes down the toilet? What do you do when you find out that you have cancer? What do you do when you lose your job and it happens like out of nowhere? How do you respond when your house gets broken into, your car gets broken into, or you have a child who is ill? I mean, think about it. What do you do when you start to develop a resentment towards God? And that resentment develops out of this sense that God has been unfair to you or that in some way God has let you down. See, I, I can tell you personally that I have seen people where something unfair or seemingly unfair happened to them and, and in that moment it's almost like they felt like they need to protect God. So something bad happens, and, 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 and they just pretend that everything's okay. And let me tell you, when something bad happens in your life, and you have to pretend it's everything, that you just have to pretend like everything is okay, you know what that's like? It's like you wearing a badge of spiritual superiority. I remember working with a family who lost a child very unexpectedly. And it was odd to hear some of the things that that family would say. I guess God needed him more than we did. And I was like, I mean, in, in my spirit, I was like, really? That, that's the way you feel? 
Because when somebody says something like, well, I think God must have need, needed my son more than I needed my son, I, I, I'm just kind of like, it's, it's really hard for me to believe that somebody would say that and mean that. Because in that kind of statement, there's like a little protecting going on. That person's actually trying to protect God. And it made me think, there, there's going to come a time and there's going to come a day when the pain that they're masking, that pain is somehow going to come to the surface in their lives. See, there are other people that when the, when the roof falls in or when the roof caves in, there are other people who just, you know, say, I'm never going to trust God again. They just make the decision that they're never going to trust God when something unexpected happens. And honestly, they get kind of spiritually numb. And they'll say things like, you know, I was such a fool to believe that in the first place. I was an idiot to buy into the whole God thing. And the point I'm trying to make is that people do lots of things to cope with those moments. When the unexpected things happen, when the roof caves in. But what does Jeremiah do? Jeremiah prays. And Jeremiah doesn't pray this sanitized prayer. He doesn't pray this really edited prayer. Jeremiah prays, and he was totally honest. That's the lie that some of us bought into, that we can't be honest. Jeremiah was totally honest when he prayed what he prayed. Look at Jeremiah 20, verse 7. Here's what it says. Jeremiah says, God, you deceived me. I'm a laughingstock. My speaking for you, doing what you told me to do, has resulted in disaster. Nobody knows what I'm going through. They're just all out there waiting for me to fail. Now skip down to verse 14 because verse 14 is really, really important. Here's what it says in verse 14. Cursed be the day I was born. May the day my mother bore me. Not be blessed. And see, here's the thing I start to realize. And again, I'm not saying you didn't see this, but I'm saying that it's so easy to read over this. One of the things that I start to realize in looking at these two sets of verses that we just looked at is this. I, I am so sure that Jeremiah was so confident In God's character. Jeremiah was so convinced of God's love and God's understanding way. He was so convinced that God was a safe person and a safe place that he knew that he could risk speaking to God and praying to God in an honest way. He knew God was interested in all of his feelings. So Jeremiah gets honest with God. 
I have a pastor friend, at least one, <laughs> who did a funeral for a 16-year-old boy who had been killed in a car wreck. I think I referenced this a couple of months ago. And in this service, the parents had asked that it be a closed casket service. But again, before the service, they asked my friend to go back for a final viewing before they closed the casket for the last time. And they wanted to do that final viewing before the service. So my friend was going back, and during his time with the family, everybody's around the casket, and he told the, the family, he said, I, I've got, a, I've got a, a scripture that I want to share with you. And he said, Randy, the reason I wanted to share this scripture was because this family had been in denial about what had happened to their son. And my friend said, Randy, I read Psalm 62, verse 8, and here's what it says. Pour out your heart to God, for he is a refuge for you. My friend said that, Randy, as I was back there, he said the parents and the brother of this 16-year-old who had been killed in the car wreck, they stood at the casket and they kept praying over and over and over, God, how could you? How could you? And my friend said, Randy, it was like the whole time in the visitation up until this moment, that this whole family had been in denial. But in that moment, after that scripture, it was like they finally got honest with God. But here's the truth. If that family was going to be authentic, that's the prayer they had to pray. How could you, God? God, how could you? And it was dealing with those feelings. That was the beginning of the healing process for that family. Pour your heart out to God. For He is a refuge for you. And see, honestly, I don't think God would have wanted anything else. Don't buy into the lie that you can't speak honestly to God. We need to speak honestly to God. I mean, look at how Jeremiah concluded his own prayer. He, he concluded that prayer by cursing his own birthday. And after that, if you read the story... God says, okay, Jeremiah, are you ready to get back to work? i got some words I need you to speak. And Jeremiah says, yes, God, I'm ready to go back to work. But Jeremiah had to pray an honest prayer to God. So it lets us know that we need to open up our hearts to God and be honest and authentic with God. Don't buy into the lie. That you can't pray honest prayers. Lie number two today. My prayers don't really change anything. 
Let me be honest with you. There have been seasons in my life where I have bought into that lie. Feeling like my prayers don't change anything. Now look at that. Look at that. Look, 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 look behind me. Because I want you to see that lie. My prayers don't really change anything. Because when you see that, you really don't understand that there's actually something behind that lie that's hidden in that lie. And the thing that's actually hidden in that lie is the idea that prayers don't change anything, but I do. Prayers don't change anything, but I can. That's another lie that's hidden in that lie. In other words, why would I waste time praying when I can jump in and do something productive? But see, one of the things that I've discovered is this. Prayer reveals how much pride is in the tank of your soul. Because prayer, more than any other activity, listen to, listen to me, prayer more than any other activity reveals what you really believe about God and what you really believe about you. So why am I so bad at prayer? Why do I stink at prayer? It's because I'm so good at pride. And I believe that one of the greatest reasons that many of us struggle with prayer is because we have this prideful illusion that we're in control. And you've heard me say this before. But pride is a addictive illusion. And it will permeate your consciousness over time. And it will make you believe that you really don't need to pray and to pursue God. Let's look at line number three. My prayers don't really matter. My prayers don't really matter to God. Now, this is the place that I want to spend the, most of our, the majority of our time this morning. So I want to go back to something that we looked at last week. And last week, uh, for those that weren't here, we looked at the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to go today to, to Matthew chapter 6. Last week, we were in Matthew chapter 5. But look at Matthew chapter 6. Here's what it says. And again, these are the words of Jesus. And again, I've, tr I've used a different translation today than I normally would, but just kind of roll with it and flow with it because I think it will land in your spirit in a way that you can really digest this. Here's what Jesus says. He says, when you pray, don't be like the show-offs who love to stand and pray in the meeting places and on the street corners. They do this just to look good. I can assure you that they already have their reward. But when you go, when you pray, go into a room alone and close the door. Pray to your father in private. 
He knows what is done in private, and he will reward you. When you pray, don't talk on and on as people do who don't know God. They think God likes to hear long prayers. That last verse, verse 7. When you pray, don't talk on and on as people do who don't know God. They think God likes to hear long prayers. It reminded me of something that I used to do when I was a teenager. It's a church thing. And again, if you weren't raised in the church, that's, that's cool. But did anybody ever do this thing called prayer wars? I, I here's what you would do. A prayer war was this. You'd get six or seven people in the youth group, and you'd get six or seven people, and you'd get in a circle, and you would pray around the circle. Everybody in the circle would pray, and there was always this, this temptation in this prayer war, this prayer circle, to try to spiritually impress the other people in the circle with the prayer that you were praying. So you know what that meant? You always wanted to go first. Because if you were number six or number seven out of six or seven people, then you know what would happen? Number five would always get your prayer. And then you wouldn't have anything to pray. So you know what I learned? Kidneys, kidneys. I started off the prayer every time. I would start praying first. And I would pray everything that I had on my heart, everything that I had on my mind. And I was intentionally trying to put the other people in a bad situation. By just praying everything that I knew. But look at verse 8. And remember, these are the words from Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, don't be like Randy. Don't be like them. Your father knows what you need before you ask. And I'm like, ah. Jesus gets it. Jesus gets it. I mean, think about what Jesus just said. Your father knows what you need before you ask, so why do I waste my time asking if he already knows what I need? There's no use for me to sit down and rattle off a list to God when he already knows what I need. It's almost like, you know, we, we sit down and we rattle off our list, and when we're done, it's like we don't know what to do with God. And it's like, okay, God, I don't have anything else on my list, so I'm going to watch TV, God. I'll be over the couch if you need me. That's kind of the way we respond to this. But think about it like this. Wouldn't it be wild if when we got done praying that we said, God, that's all I got. Now what's on your heart? See, as long as some of you have been a Christian, you've had this idea in your mind, wondering why in the world does God tell you to ask him if he already knows what you need? Anyway. And here's your answer. It's because God knew 
that prayer was not just about you getting what you wanted. But it's about you spending time with God. It's about you communing with God. Let me, let me, let me show you two statements. Prayer is more than a transaction. It's a mystery. It's more of a journey than it is a theory. See, nobody can explain how God can be God and be sovereign. And he still invites us to pray. I do know this, however. When we pray, it's not just about the circumstances. It's also changing us. Look at, look at the statement that you see on the screen there. Sometimes the most amazing thing happening in prayer is not what is happening to the circumstances, but it's actually what is happening to me. I can remember years back there was a meeting that I was going to have. And I was praying about that meeting, important meeting. I started praying about the agenda for the meeting, and I started praying for the person that I was going to have the meeting with. And let me tell you what happened. As I started praying for the meeting and specifically for the, church, uh, for the, for the person I was having the meeting with, my, my heart started changing toward the person I was having the meeting with. And by the time I had the meeting with the person, it was a different person. And you say, wait, 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 wait. No, it was the same person. But my heart had so changed that it was a totally different meeting because my heart had changed. My prayers didn't change the circumstances. My prayers changed me. And then Jesus goes into the most famous part of this scripture. It's the part we know as the Lord's Prayer. And we don't have time to cover this whole thing today, this whole idea today, so I just want to cover the first few words. But as a matter of fact, when I get done with this, I'm going to cover just one word, but we'll come back and cover the rest of it. Look at verse 9 of Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, help us honor your name. Come and set up your kingdom so that everyone on earth will obey you as you are obeyed in heaven. Give us our food for today. Forgive us for doing wrong as we forgive others. Keep us from being tempted and protect us from evil. One of the greatest motivational speakers in our nation was a guy by the name of John Cassus. And what's interesting about him was John Cassus spent a stint in the 1980s as one of the chaplains for the Chicago Bear football team. And what's really interesting about this is in the 1980s, that's when the Chicago Bears were in their heyday. 
And John Cassis is the chaplain, and he tells us that Mike Ditka, who was the, the coach, was about to deliver a, a, a locker room prep talk, pep talk one day. And John says that as Mike is looking out at the players in the Chicago Bear football team, he sees this guy by the name of, some of you are going to know this, and some of you this is going to, you'll, you'll understand. He sees a guy by the name of William the Refrigerator Perry. Anybody know who I'm talking about? He was huge. How could he not see him? The fridge stood at 338 pounds. And even in a crowd of big football players, the fridge stood out. Ditka looked at the fridge and said, hey, when I get finished, I want you to close our time today by saying the Lord's Prayer. And the coach began to talk. Meanwhile, the quarterback, Jim McMahon, this brash, arrogant, outspoken quarterback, he reached over and hit the chaplain, John Casas, and he said, look, look at, look at the fridge. He don't know the Lord's Prayer. He said, sure enough, they looked at Perry's face. The fridge had his face in his hands he was sweating profusely cases said to McMahon everybody knows the Lord's prayer after a few minutes McMahon looked at the fridge and the fridge had leaked several gallons of sweat and everybody could see it McMahon looked over at Casus, the chaplain, and he says, here's the thing. I'll bet you 50 bucks that the fridge don't know the Lord's Prayer. As Casus tells the story, he said how absurd it was that here we are in chapel betting on whether this guy knows the Lord's Prayer. So when Ditka finished, the head coach, when Ditka finished his pep talk, he asked everybody to remove their hats. And he nodded at William the Fridge Perry. And he bowed his head. And he said it was quiet for a few moments. But in a few moments, the Fridge spoke up in a very shy and shaky voice. And he said, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And John Casas says, I felt a tap on my shoulder. It was Jim McMahon. And he gave him $50. And he said, I had no idea that the fridge knew the Lord's Prayer. See, here's the thing we've done. We've memorized this prayer. Even though Jesus didn't say, pray this, he said, pray like this. 
So for many of us, the words have kind of become lost in translation. And trust me when I say this, that in Jesus' culture, when he spoke the first few words of this prayer that you and I know as the Lord's Prayer, their jaws hit the floor. Because in the Old Testament, you will not find the word Father used in relation to a man of God. It doesn't start with, dear God, dear Yahweh, dear creator of the universe. There's this new principle. And the principle is for us to absorb Father. Our Father. Hello. You're my dad. I'm your son. I'm your daughter. And see, that's the principle that can revolutionize your, your life. God's not a machine. He's not Santa Claus. You're not a bother to him when you pray to him. God hears your prayer. He hears what we pray. He hears it not like it's passed from one guy to another down a hall, and then he looks at it and then sends it back. But he hears our prayers. And that's what Jesus was saying in the Lord's Prayer. I have a new principle for you. It's not about rattling off a list of things that you need. It's not about sitting down and saying to God, you are the creator of the world and you created all these things and you're my dad. But it's like understanding. You created me. I'm not a second thought. I'm not a leftover. I'm not a reject. I am his child. And see, let me, let me say one thing else about prayer. Prayer is not this unattainable spiritual exercise. 1 Peter 5 verse 7 says, Cast all your cares upon me. Why would God say cast all your cares upon him? Because God's prevailing power is released through prayer. He's interested in you and every need that you have, and he is able to meet every need. Would you bow your heads this morning and pray with me, please? God, we take this time and feebly attempt to look at these three lies that many of us have bought into as it relates to prayer. It's so easy to give up on prayer, thinking that we can't be honest, that you really don't care about our needs, but you do. And God, this morning we, we come to you to to humbly ask you to forgive us for the, the simple fact that many times we have second-guessed our prayer life. We've given up, we've given out, we've given through, and we just, we just don't think it makes any difference. 
but your desire is to hear our voice and to hear our needs and to meet those needs because you are our father and we are your child. God, rekindle in us the hope the difference that you want to make in our life. And that comes through prayer. God, we love you. We thank you. And we ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.
Oh. 